Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gents, welcome back into your headphones, into your ears, into your musical brains. Yes, it is a Rob DeBank with the A to Z of festivals. And one of my favourite ever people in the world is here, live, live in the podcast studio. It is, of course, the mighty Chris Tofu MBE. Can't forget the MBE. Do you you sort of make taxi drivers and stuff call you Chris Tofu MBE? most blags ever. Yeah. Basically. What, what, What does it get? you in life absolutely nothing <laughs> nothing at all what did, what did you do to deserve that well you know Rob uh, we've done millions of gigs with you of course and we love your work but uh, we've been doing that, that global local remember you know which is world music where world music meets 21st century UK culture so we've been running that thing with the Arts Council for over 10 years now we've got hundreds of bands on 17 stages a year I was only pulling your leg, mate. You don't need to really justify it. No, but, um, no, I need to now. You said it. <laughs> so, well, yes, mainly for it. Arts Council, unlike Norman Jay, of course, who's got an MBE <laughs> for actually DJing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm no, saying? No, no, I know. I know. No, I mean, you, you fully, you <laughs> actually should have been knighted and be Sir Chris of Tofu, the original vibes controller. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's just the first of the accolades that you're going to get in your <laughs> And the photo of you outside uh, Buckingham Palace is brilliant. Yeah, Did you actually get to meet the Queen? No, I got to meet William. Oh, yeah. Prince, Prince William. Prince William. Yeah, yeah. yeah Will. Well, for okay. me, it's like Will. Will, obviously. Yeah, big Willie Styles. <laughs> Can you say that about the future king? Probably. <laughs> Is that the future kick? Probably yeah, not. Right, okay. I, I, I don't know. I think apparently it might be. Okay, Chris. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really chuffed that we've got you on. For people that aren't familiar with Chris's work, then, you know, you name it, from Glastonbury to Boomtown, through a few of our festivals, Secret Garden, um, through his global local stuff, through DJing, um, you know, putting on amazing parties, charity stuff. Chris is right there at the kind of beating heart of the UK left field seat.
So we're going to kick off with a few um, little true or falses just to get us warmed up, okay. Chris, if that's all right. Okay. Um, you spent last weekend in a 14th century castle drinking whiskey. True uh, or false? Uh, true-ish. It was a 14th century manor house, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So w- 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 why? I was at the amazing Knock and Gorrick Festival uh, in Scotland, which I've wanted to go to for years because of its alternative routes. But the main reason why Knock and Gorrick's famous is because the audience goes absolutely nuts, caravanserai style for anything. Had to be seen, and, and, and I'd known for at least 20 years that was the place to go. Okay, how long did it take you to learn how to pronounce Knock and Gorrick? Knock and Gorrick. It took a long time. Um, so, I've been in, like, sending bands up there forever, and every band's ever come back going, oh my God, this festival is insane. For the first note, the audience was jumping like maniacs. So I was like, I'm going. Right, we'll check that one out. We'll add that to the list of the eight set of festivals. Definitely. Um, right, true or false? Fun. Your favourite word is vibe. Vibe is my actual main job title. <laughs> Yeah, vibe engineer. If you want to have the long title there, Rob. <laughs> vibe engineer, vibe controller. He, yeah, exactly. he is it. Yeah. Um, okay, true or false? You you tour the UK's festivals in a in a bongo van. <laughs> yes, true. Tell, true. Tell us about, about Mighty Bongo because I, I love when Chris turns up to any, any festival, not just not just ours, but um, he turns up with this. Uh, it's kind of like a miniature camper van, isn't yeah, it? And, and it's got everything yeah. that you need in it for your yeah. for your festival life. Yeah, a bed. Has it got a name? Uh, no, no, I just do just Bongo. Yeah, bongo. Is it a yeah. Bongo friendly or is it just? It's a, a Bongo friendly. <laughs> yeah, I know you've looked into this clearly. <laughs> no, I, I know loads of people with them. There's a there's a Bongo oh, stockist on the Isle of Wight who just sells Bongos. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bongos are the perfect festival vehicle. One, they're four-wheel drive. Two, the roof goes up so you can fill the whole van with junk and still get into the roof and have a nice sleep. Three, it's got a little power socket up there. And you can escape. Four, you can escape. You can be anywhere in the whole world and people don't even realise you're crashing out of it while they're telling you some bands turned up with no tickets <laughs> and I think when we've been um, when we've been tight at one of our shows and not giving you your own uh, dressing room or office you've actually run your entire operation out of your bongo I friendly I really like to run the <laughs> I'm sure I've had bits of toast and stuff yeah, out of the toast because you can it. smoke in there as well <laughs> bonus bonus okay um, and uh, true or false um, you used to play in a band called the Tofu Love Frogs absolutely true you said um, I will only play in a band if it's called the Tofu Love Frogs and absolutely that. true yeah and strangely enough someone said I want to call, play in a band called Tofu Love Frogs so I was like I'm oh, in and any, any sort of sign of Tofu Love Frogs coming back this year uh, no, <laughs> not by me. I'm beyond that now. I'm a DJ. I really enjoy not being in a band. I really yeah. enjoy just being a DJ, rocking up, doing those sort of things as well. You know, it's much easier and less complex. But <laughs> the Toffees, if they were still going, would not still be going. We would all be dead, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <alcoholic> poisoning. <laughs> okay. Well, let's uh, let's get on to your your kind of festival history. So one one of the questions I always ask at the beginning of this is, you know, I, I know that we're not we're talking about more than festivals because you do a lot more, but when we're just focusing on on your sort of career and festivals, what what was the first festival that you went to as, oh, as a punter? Uh, oh, as a punter. Um, well, there was a I guess it was like Elephant Fair actually, which was in Cornwall when I was like about seventeen. I actually got a job from the Dole to go down there as part of a volunteer scheme from the local unemployment centre. That's very forward thinking of them. 
very forward thinking about it really seeing as everybody went down there they lost their stuff and didn't come back for like two weeks. what was your job well funny enough it would they, they sort of like hounded you out and my job was to ru- help these guys run something called the pleasure dome which was a crazy sauna full of naked hippies <laughs> so it was a pretty good look for the first job basically man why didn't I get my first job yeah amazing mine was serving chips in a secondary school amazing and at the time there was Glastonbury took some years off maybe four or five years and Elephant Fair filled that hole and also filled that hole artistically as well because they did loads of sight art and really clever stuff it's that poor Elliot now of course yeah the Port Elliot Festival. So a lot of people talk about Elephant Fair and Glastonbury in the same kind well, of breath. No, so what, what, what is the actual connection? Uh, well, for starters, I think the actual connection down there between the two festivals was that there was a load of art people doing art down there, same people up there, similar sort of lineups, acoustic tents, stuff like that. And I think, you know, the rich people, the lords and ladies of Glastonbury were like the lords and ladies of Bath and the rich landowners of, like, Somerset, you know, they all hung out together. So I think it was a bit similar like that. But definitely artistically, you know, like, in terms of venues and art and built sculptures, it was also running along those lines as well, which is something that came up later. So so walking through the gates of... Your first uh, elephant fair as a as a, someone being sent down from the job centre. What what were you thinking? Like, were you just like, this is the life? Yeah, for me? I was like, holy shamoli, do people actually live like this? And then when it came to the naked sauna, it was like, oh my Christ! It was amazing. People were passing stuff around in the baths and floating ashtrays, and <laughs> it was like heaven. Utopia. It was like utopia, basically. And I, th- I think that is, you know, as, as festival promoters or DJs or, or just people that, you know, regular people that go to festivals, that, that is a lot of people's first experience, isn't it, of a cool festival. You, you go in and you're like, I never want to leave here because this is like how I want to live my life. Yeah, I think, you know, they call them temporary autonomous zones across the world, or temporary paradises, if you like, where, uh, you know, daily... Uh, daily foibles are, are given a complete break you know where you can be yourself something different people react to each other walls have come down it's amazing so I That's mean that kind of, yeah that kind of answers the next question what, what is it about festivals that is, is so special so for you it's about escaping daily life and being able yeah, to yeah well it's kind of like that you know coming to a society where people you know look after each other and it is one big throbbing family yeah for the punters you know oh <laughs> I can't get my tent peg in. Oh, yeah, some guy come along and give my hand straight away. For the bands, it's like everybody's trying to support them if something's going wrong. Uh, and do you think... For us, we have a throbbing network of people who we, we all love to get involved in, stuff like that. And do, do you think, um, you know, in, in 2019, that is still there? The soul of those, you know, the festival scene is still there? Well, I don't want to take too much time on your episode of festivals here, but basically, here's the deal. I was in Sicily and I came across this big old ruined amphitheatre and I was down at the back of the amphitheatre and they said, oh, changing room, backstage backstage changing, uh, 1,500 year old festival organiser's office, which is actually pretty much written on it, production office and all this and then I began to begin looking into it a little bit more deeply and, and the realisation is is that actually festivals have been a part of humanity for thousands of years the Victorians managed to 
have loads of festivals. In Glastonbury had a festival of 100,000 people in Victorian days, probably not very well known, not important in the town, to do with religion and mm. King Arthur and all this. But something happened during the First and Second World Wars when we decided to kill everybody. That, that, that wiped all of that out. And then back in the 60s, people started that up again. But I think there's a certain human behaviour that comes out when these festivals happen. Certainly Stonehenge was an original festival site. People went to those places. You know, you can still see an island in some places like Rose of Trilly, how people use those festivals, which is Rose of Trilly is like, they have like matchmakers. You go to a festival with your daughter or your son and there's a matchmaker, you take them to the matchmaker and they'll meet other people who come in, all these other farmers and stuff like that, you know, so... Wow, that's how I can get rid of all my sons. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, it's all about, like, people getting off with each other as well. It's about new boundaries. It's about leaving the family behind. It's about, you know, leaving home first time and stuff like that, you know, so there's an extremely powerful psycho and sociological situation going on that, that I think, you know, got reborn in the 60s, got lost in the 40 years before it because everybody was on war. And, so it's know, like a rite of passage but also a kind of pagan need in us to get out in the field. Been there the whole time. The it's in the DNA of humanity. Go to any country in the whole world and you'll find the same, you know. So why do you think it was only, I mean, it was only really maybe, you know, 20, 25 years ago that the whole second wave or even you know more recently you know when we start even when we started Best of All 15 years ago there were you know there were probably like four or five other gigs well like yeah Roma less, less than Red 10 big, big ones and so you know there has been this massive explosion in the last sort of 10-15 years what, what, what do you put that down to? Well for stars it was all going on before then big time from the 60s the Albion Fairs Peace Convoy was just basically you know 2,000 people in one road road block moving around stuff like that last 10-15 years you know there's always been this juxtaposition of people doing things for free and vibing us meets you know like capitalism you know so in the last 10 or 15 years just before after you guys got into it actually and we've all suffered from it as well there was never a festival estate agency. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't property. It wasn't something you could buy or sell. They'd be like, I actually remember when you guys first started all your things, people were like, why are you doing this? What the freaking hell is this? No one makes any money from this. Actually, nobody makes any money from it now. But you know, these whole other things came in, so it became a much more of a in the mainstream look. You know, Glastonbury, 20 years ago, the headlines of Glastonbury was like, mud, monster, crusty, rubbish, enemy was scathing about Glastonbury. Scathing, didn't matter who was playing, what bands that they loved. It was just like, let's send our journalists down to Glastonbury to say how awful it is. Do you know what I mean? And how much we hate festivals and it's all about the mud. And then slowly, I think, you know, I say idiots in the press like that began to see, actually, this is like something going on here. Mm. The kids get, this is the kids' right of passage. This is more important than saying everybody's just a mud monster because they couldn't be asked to leave their backstage area. <laughs> you know what I mean? I knew you'd come on here and tell the truth, Chris. No, it's the truth. I mean, it? let's let's talk about Glastonbury because um, I can't remember exactly where, where we met, but, you know, you are synonymous with kind of Shangri-La, Las Vegas, yeah. the, the whole beating left Holy field. Holy shit, I'm in like year 30 this year. 
Are you year 30? Okay. I mean, okay, so tell us about what your relationship is with Glastonbury, what you do there currently, what you know, what, what you've done. So in the beginning we went with, well, we've been a few times. In fact, again, the second gig I went to was Glastonbury, again with school, funnily enough, with the college. They had a teacher there who was teaching life philosophy, he was running a court, running trips there. <laughs> went, and it was like, you know, only half came back. <laughs> but uh, when I got the Toffee Love Frogs together, we were obsessed with Glastonbury. I mean, and nobody else was. Hardly, we, we went to Glastonbury, brought in all our stuff underneath the fence until the guy who was running the gate was like, I don't know why you want to take it under there, just bring it through here. Like amplifiers and shovels and shit. And then uh, we turned out to be the only blagging band on site. So you imagine it, Robbie. There's no other band looking for another gig apart from us. So like stage two, a band dropped out. And they were like, oh my God, are you, can, you, can you do this gig? And we were like, yeah. And that happened for like two years ago. We were the only guys. And then we started running a stage there with this woman called Kaz from the Kaz Bar who Joe Strummel used to go down there and go, hey, I'm from the Casbah, give me a free drink. And they were like, no, piss off. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So then that went on and on. And of course, there was this whole thing going on called Travellers. And we were involved in that big time doing free festival stages all over England. Mm. Helicopters, you know, you name it, like pissing a lot of people off in many ways, but also turning on hundreds of thousands. So this is a sort of early 90s, Travellers, Stonehenge, yeah, all of that Mutoid Waste. Yeah, going down. Yeah, Mutoid Waste was the first thing in Glastonbury. They did their drumming thing with a big truck, which was like pre-revolutionary. At the same time, we were doing a little stage. Then, So this, I mean, just for people that are, are you know, maybe younger people and people that are tuning in that aren't Glastonbury sort of aficionados, then, you know, talking to Michael Eves about this, this was like pitch battles, people throwing like burnings um, railway sleepers into his front garden you know it was kind of like it was, it was quite anarchic and, and quite a feisty place absolutely awful the bad vibes and because we'd already gone into Glastonbury and done all that stuff and was running our own little stages and stuff we were in love with the place anyway so we didn't actually go around but you have to imagine that you know the last Stonehenge that actually happened there was 100,000 people there with no, no frigging toilets you know people walking into the woods coming out with branches that were still living and to make fires with and like, it was like crazy posses hitting it from the north of England dealing drugs and hell's angels on the main strip when he went in. it was chaos and then when the police stopped that Margaret Thatcher same time as Miners Strike decided to stop Stonehenge happening it was like absolute violence on a crazy scale police attacking a vehicle smashing the windows with their truncheons, dragging children out through it, cutting people. It was horrible. It was truly a horrible thing. And then Evis, being a Christian, decided... I can't remember what the year was, but he decided that he was going to give a lump of his land to the travellers. And a lot of those travellers, we were like, wow, that's amazing. The first time around, he gave a load of money and told them to go and get another site. And the guy that gave the money to done a runner. Oh, no. Which is really rude. You know, it was all this sort of like, Eva's opens the door up, but a lot of people were also slagging it off, calling people weekenders because they spent five days on the road rather than three. It was all stuff like that happened. <laughs> And then uh, we had this little stage off the back of the Toffee Love Frogs truck and uh, we went up into 
this field we turned up and we didn't have tickets that year but the guy in the gate was like we were like with Toffee Love Frogs he's like oh right Toffee Love Frogs right follow me and we followed this Land Rover and they plunked us into this field you know like no I don't want to even know if it's official I don't, I don't know how it happened or I don't want to get anyone into trouble because it's so long ago like 30 years ago or something like that but anyway we set up a stage <laughs> and then um yeah, it all started going off from there. And then there's this guy, Roy, was running the bar. And then um, at the same time, there was all this, like I said earlier, crazy press about travellers, like really racist stuff. Mm. I mean, if we'd have been of another colour, we would they would have been banged up to rights. You know, the great unwashed, all this crap. And then... Um, what happened then was that, 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 yeah, Roy did the bar and then we did a little stage and then Gideon and all that crew who does Block Nine and all that came in and they did like first funny places where blokes dressed as women and they were like, you know, people did different things, sort of like the vague beginnings of burlesque. Yeah. And then I, I can't remember how the decision was made, but everybody decided with Roy and all that, but we all decided that we wanted to do this thing that we were being called like total like crusties and all this stuff. We were going to turn that around and turn it on its head. So we created this massive casino. What you could only get in if you had a suit or a dress on, you know, and this was revolutionary for the UK festival scene. People were like, what the hell you mean you don't have to dress in some combat <laughs> trousers and you know you don't have to look like you've just come off some dodgy motorbike you know it was kind of like the fashion at the time was like just military boring anybody who wore anything that wasn't military or boring got the piss taken <laughs> yeah you know what I mean and I mean Josie had our 30th birthday dressed in ball gowns and, and dinner jackets in the, <laughs> in, in, in the restaurant in the back of that with all our friends who had about an hour's sleep and we were like what are we doing sitting here in ball gowns yeah it was it, I remember that as a, as a turning point and I mean that was the whole well, you know, before that, but also the yeah that birth of what you yeah so, yeah and that's that, right. It kicked it off for everyone, and then we had like the amazing um, ballroom. You know, we put chandeliers in it. You know, so we'd gone literally from pallets on the ground to chandeliers in this ballroom, and then uh, so that was to try and stop people calling yeah, it was people like, crusties. Screw and, you. We're sick of being like you know getting this kind of like. Uh, uh, internalised um, inferiority complex mm. do you know what I mean we're going to swing that on its head and of course that was super popular people were like queuing up for ages Evis loved it uh, Evis actually in the end gave us some budget to do that whole field and stuff like that to Roy and then the next thing was like yo now we're going to have speakeasies now we're going to have like a barber shop where you sit on the barber's chair and then the whole chair disappears down a little railway track and then you end up in a backstage bar drinking whiskey or any of these crazy things that came along, you know. That crew who were doing that with, you know, Kay Laundretta is now Kay on Shangri-La, Roy's yeah. thing went off, Gideon did the decal really well, now he does Block 9, mm. Stevie Bedlam, all these people were involved in it, who are doing really great things now, especially with Thing and then Boomtown and they did they, it they, they, like in a hundred times out and then we did... Roy went so far, but because everybody was like out of, uh, no one was used to success in the normal sense. Continental Drift had started by then, but nobody was really used to the success of it. There was no such thing and nobody knew what contract even looked mm. like. So, so it kind so of exploded. 
it, it, yeah, it did. And people love um, hearing about you know dealing with um, Michael. We'll, we'll get off Glastonbury in a minute, but um, I love talking about Glastonbury if you hadn't noticed. And uh, yeah. um, so you know there was obviously a period where Michael was kind of battling this sort of tide of, of yeah, anarchy really and stuff and, and then it settled down into you know everyone working together but you know he has to and now Emily has to you know you, they're controlling 30 or whatever different areas with Amazing, all the chiefs yeah, of that, that's coming idea. in so, yeah. so how, how often do you sort of go down and see those guys and how does that work do you sit around the kitchen table with Michael and kind of go with well, this I always been kind of shy of those guys personally I try don't really see a lot of them in a year I might see them three or four times but um Kay and Robin, my directors of Shangri-La, who we do it with as well, we've now got an office in, Ch- in Chapter Manor. Okay. They kind of see them quite a lot, really. Yeah, yeah. Kay's really onto this, like, you know, bigging up the women thing and the environmental thing as well, and so is Emily. So they kind of see each other a little bit more. But, you know, back in the day, it was like only Royce saw them. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. So what what is your favourite ever thing that you've seen at Glastonbury? Or the favourite ever thing that you've, uh, that you've put on or, or uh, seen? People either? ask me, there's just so much stuff that's gone down on so many different levels it's almost impossible what, to what's the thing you're proudest of having done at, at, um, at Glastonbury uh, <laughs> I'm going to come back to that because you've had a you've had a heavy I like Napalm death last year there you go. it always just comes back to like a year before there you go yeah well that's great so yeah you had Napalm death and then we had Roger from the beat and the beat came and played and that made them go off from when they hadn't been going off for a while and that was an incredible you know where the atmosphere you know you'd you'd be like one degree better or worse on hundred of gigs it's about creating that vibe isn't it I'm the most I'd say where it went off when the most dust was rising from people dancing that's what I remember (laughs) and how how do you get any sleep at um, Glastonbury because I'm I'm, once I'm up I'm up and I I really struggle to sort of um, sleep past about seven in the morning so for you guys when you walk around Shangri-La it's totally dead in in the morning or afternoon I'm always up there kind of going right come on let's find the fun and uh, yeah we're running all day now every day Okay, you're running in the day. Yeah, as well. it's like Craig Charles, Norman Jay, and like a whole bunch of like brilliant stuff on Sunday as well. So what it is, the golden no rule of um, all festivals, golden rule, hands down, uh, power naps in the afternoon. Is that what it is? It has to happen. It happens in Europe. People okay. have this, siesta. they call it a siesta because of that <laughs> very main reason, you know. What, because they're going at it hard at festivals the rest no, of the time? people in Europe are staying up. They're still up at three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They get five yeah. hours sleep there and then two in the afternoon or three. What, what's the curfew like at Glastonbury these days? Is there like a police, uh, a noise police guy coming around going, right, it's 6am, yes. turn it yeah. off? 
Yeah, otherwise yeah. it wouldn't turn up. And is there is there a fight? You know, is there an argy bargy at that point, or is it like? <sighs> yeah, it's culture versus production, Robbie. <laughs> You've been down that road a million <laughs> times, isn't it? If, if it was left to me, we would not stop, and I, I don't think my people would want to stop. No. Okay. You know. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, let's. Um. I mean, you're you're a man with many strings to your bow. You know. Glastonbury. If you're going to Glastonbury this year, make sure you go down Shangri-La. and follow Chris, either yeah. e- either DJing or running yeah. stuff, or um, or having a siesta. Go and knock on the <laughs> go and knock on the window the bongo. for Bongo Friendy and uh, wake him up. But yeah. I mean, Continental Drifts. Let's talk about that. That yes, is your indeed. that's your sort of talent agency yeah. and booking. Um, yeah. So you've got global local. Your th- these are all things that you're kind of doing a lot of community based projects in a way yeah, I want to talk really, to you about yeah, the, really. like the deaf rave tell us about yeah. that so Continental Driss is over 20 years old now and it's a company with me and three other business partners and we organise concerts for 2 million people a year but mainly community when we first started Continental Driss I mean you know we've been doing all this festival stuff for years but we're also really dedicated to free urban community events because we obviously we were all squatters and we did start that whole shebang with this 55,000 people festival called Hackney Homeless Festival before Hackney was hip and there was tons of empties there there was over 12,000 empty spaces in East London or Hackney if you like and uh, they're all about 2 million quid and uh, now yeah oh my god but uh, yeah so we started all that stuff off and we ran these enormous festivals there and we ended up also because I was in Toffee Love Frogs running stages as well I was the only guy when we first started Connell Driss as an agency as well as a music agency there was no one no one at all there was just your Babylonia obviously I won't mention any names but they're still Babylon right now and they're still rinsing you and everyone else and uh, there was just them and us there was no one else and luckily now you know a few more peeps have come along like diplomats like uh, just loads of little smaller agencies to deal with this but there was no one dealing with literally a whole generation of culture yeah. untouched yeah I mean if, you, if you're um, if you're there at home listening to this and you google Continental Drifts and look at the, the lineups that are on their, their roster it's you know it's like every band that you'd want on your festival and they're, they're not all big names at all. a lot no, of them aren't all. big names at all but they are the sort of vibe masters to Nick Chris's uh, word and the, the ones that get everyone going at yeah, festivals that's what people are talking about quite often after they've gone home it's like Holy cow, did you see that brass band doing friggin' daft punk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, I ended up dancing in a conga with them and, like, meeting the whole band, <laughs> and then we went off and met it. You know, it's about people being able to touch the vibe, getting more involved with it at a lower level, what we call off-main stage. Off-main stage, yeah, yeah. And that's what we love. And, and I mean, uh, you, you're the sort of king of mixing up the genres as well you know you're largely responsible behind the whole vintage remix yeah, thing yeah that's that, what it's all about going, yeah. going off and now gone into the mainstream big time yeah. um, and although I haven't strangely enough <laughs> <laughs> your, your time is coming uh, and, um, and, and and like you said you know the brass so brass band remix I mean you've invented whole sort of genres of this yeah. where you can do whole days at festivals yeah just have to do that so tell us, I mean, obviously we work together on, on Bestival and Camp Bestival, and tell us about some of those things that you've done where, you know, you've had a whole day of brass bands or... Yeah, well, for instance, the brass band thing's been... In, that's a great example, Robbie. The thing is, was we know that brass has got so much soul, it lifts people off their feet at a festival. 
right? We know that. We know it kills it like that, whether that's in a band with brass in or just on its own. And then there was no frigging brass bands. It was like two in the whole of England that actually did anything alternative apart from coal mining ones. <laughs> and then we were like, oh my God, this is what gets people going really crazy. And then we added them into the agency. Right now, in the year, whatever it is, there's at least 40 brass bands of an alternative nature doing really crazy things that will drive an audience insane. Yeah, that's, that's in like five or ten years. So, so what the hell's going to happen So in what, what, what's the next thing then? You know, I had electro swing, vintage um, oh, yeah, remix, we had brass bands. Yeah, where where brass you, you've bands. done, where you've done the, the death what's metal, thrash yeah. metal, napalm death. No, what's think, next? Yeah, yeah, I think it's actually like... Something gentle. For me, it's like, yeah, it's like um, music paired together with dance and film to give you more of a 360 degrees feeling of stuff okay like it, you you guys I'll be like pushing hard for next year it's going to be like sort of like we're going to be loads of brilliant Arabic bands that remix there's no Arabic music in the UK at a festival probably in the whole year you might find one or two bands mm. but we're like oh my god but when you put Arabic with dancing with the audience dancing with the films from the 1930s remixed of Arabic nature and stuff like that to create this kind of souk vibe. That would just be one tiny little thing that we're bringing forward. We're doing this thing around the world in 80 tunes, which is where we have like one hour of like Indian DJs with Indian dancers, one hour of Latin DJs, Latin dancers, film, blah, blah, stuff like that, you know. I think it's really. We're going to have to erase all this part immediate. of the podcast so no one else steals your ideas. Um, <laughs> steal, t- steal, t- please. <laughs> Tell us about um, Death Rave. So yesterday we did Def Rave's first proper festival with Inside of All Points East. So Def Rave, for instance, is a really frigging cool thing. It's like the deaf community for years, just like the mental health community and all that, has always had like all these non-deaf people or in, in, in mental health psychiatrists or whatever telling people what to do. So the deaf community have put together their own thing and they have raves, DJs, sign language MCs. Um, so how does that work? Comedians. I mean, you know talking like a dumbo but like, how does that work in terms of you know if they're deaf with the music is it they feel it or yeah what, what it is with deaf deaf music is one it needs a shitload of bass so what we've been trying to do and we actually haven't done it this year but we will do next year is create vibrating stages they actually hold balloons weirdly enough up in front of speakers you know and the, the balloon vibrates and they get it they also, there's no music if they can't hear or fight thing, that, but they're actually doing deaf rapping. Do you see what I mean? Or deaf comedians, sort of sign language comedians, sign language rappers, stuff like that. Getz has taken one on tour with him, which is really nice. That's oh, wicked. And um, yeah, generally thing like that. But also the main thing is to create a space where all deaf people can hang out together and feel like they're on the same freaking planet as each other, you know, which yeah, is yeah. kind of really important, you know. That's amazing. So where, where's the next one of those going to be, do you know? Or just um, watch, this, watch this space? Watch this space, but the Arts Council's been really good. It's giving Death Rave a load of money to go and do touring and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a growing great. thing. It's gentle, gentle, gentle. Okay. Tell us about um, yours and mine favourite venue in the world, Caravanserai. Caravanserai, right. yeah. I mean, basically, the number one greatest machine for creating a festival vibe ever built anywhere is Caravanserai it's yet to be being and I say this 
with respect to the people who built Shangri-La, which has got over 20 different art areas and stuff like that. Boomtown, who, you know, same people, you yeah. know, they've got like, Leading you know, the field, towns, yeah, for sure. blah, blah, blah. Caravan is built by Pete Bateman, just this incredible artist. It's kind of, um, it's like a fairground circus remixed. Do you know what I mean? We're using all those old structures. It's got all these caravans that it uses. Yeah, so it's a stockade, it's like an instant super vibe, and that is just the best thing. And Rob and Josie, you know, they like commissioned it. Josie, the who is like often not given the big ups, so I think she should get because I, I tend to take all yeah. the um, praise and stick. Yeah, in the yeah, you want to come to my office, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> but, and, the same, but, and, um, and you obviously um, have worked with Pete over the years, but programming that and shaping the whole way. I mean, if you amazing. haven't seen it, you you approach amazing. it it's like a helter skelter meets an old French caravan meets yeah. a sort of yeah, yeah, um, yeah, bandstand, yeah, 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 all sort yeah, of yeah, melded yeah, into yeah. one, isn't it? And this sort of it's welded into one, but also it's, it's important to remember the history of these things. You know, the fairground is the original festival and that's been going on for hundreds of years. Gypsies used to run the fairgrounds because they used to suddenly turn up with these crazy things like electric light, luminescence, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so he's built all of that into it. So you kind of like, I always think fairground as festival is a really, really, really great way for people to feel relaxed and have mm. a great time and get vibe. Pete's got over 470 different pieces of art round in there. Wow. And the, the way it works is it's like a stockade. So you just can't, once that door's shut, you ain't getting in. So people really get that feeling that they, the FOMO, you yeah, yeah. love. So and much so that you broke the stage last year. <laughs> you should be proud of that, not embarrassed. <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> Came out on the radio, Chris Topher has broken the stage. Yeah, right. Shut down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was um, only an inch off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I Chris, if we'll break it again this year. <laughs> <laughs> we have to, we have to do part two of this because um, there's there's too much to uh, too much to share in your in your festival history. But um, you know, just briefly tell us what you think the um, you know the future of, of festivals currently looks like. You know, you, you're feeling you're feeling optimistic, feeling um, good about that. Well, it's really hard to see, isn't it, really? It's quite hard to work it out. For On one side, the commercial festivals, and although, you know, festivals always trod this great path between the both sides and stuff like that, and all of them are, the commercial festivals are all chasing these friggin' headliners that are getting less and less and less with more and more money, and some of them are friggin' boring. I'm not going to mention any names on festivals this year, but some of our favourite festivals have really dull lineups mm. um, because they can't. They have to keep playing this game. You know what I'm saying? And actually, for me and you, obviously, we're about off main stage. And in fact, the festivals that are really successful these days are the ones that specialise in off main stage. Mm. That's what people remember. That's what people talk about. Not whatever the main act is. It is a juxtaposition and it is important, but off main stage it's like the people who spend more time, more energy in creating artistic things that people talk about and remember when they came back are often the ones that are going to succeed. And then I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that all over the frigging place, basically, which is there great. Go. It's a very great thing. It's positive, but... Wise words from Chris Tofu. Yeah. And the, the good news is, you know, whilst um, those festivals might stagnate in that, then there's a whole raft of new, exciting festivals like you're talking about that are, that are coming through and not worrying about... People were like, the this market is full 10 years ago. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. it's not true. Someone will come along and make a oh, there's so many festival of bread, festival of bread, festival yeah. of tea. <laughs> I'm having that bread, <laughs> bread festival. Watch this Tea-topia. space. Teatopia. Me and Chris in the Bongo Friendy Teatopia. Here we yeah. come. Chris, thank you so much for joining us out of your busy um, no, festival no, schedule. No, Where can no, people no. come and watch you um, this summer? DJ Chris Tofu, you can find at uh, on social media. Isle of Warwick. Uh, I'm DJing the crew party on Saturday night in Shangri-La. There we go. A month before the festivals began. <laughs> so how, how many actual days are you going to be on site at Glastonbury? I'm only there for about a week because I had to do all the laminating and yeah, all yeah. the bloody office stuff as well. You so know, you're, you're in the stuff. office sweating over the photocopier. Yes, uh, exactly. So, getting yeah. my passes ready. Yeah, oh, your passes oh, oh, ready. Roger Banks, Saturday night on the biggest <laughs> stage, gas tower, 360 degree sound system. Really? Serious visuals. God, you're getting me nervous now. Yeah, 3D sound. Wow, can't wait. Guy from Radiohead's on after. Really? <laughs> <laughs> He's used to that, Rob the Bank. High five. Thank you very much. To be continued. Yeah, Rob DeBank, I need to do your one. Watch this space. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate.